I am also very excited about our new series in the book of Ephesians. And in your bulletin, there's an outline that you can follow along. And um, so we're just going to do a bit of background work, um, introductory work. So um, here we go, okay? The book of Ephesians. It's God's glorious masterpiece. God's glorious masterpiece. And the theme is really Ephesians reveals the church. Ephesians reveals the church as God's glorious masterpiece, not the individual. Okay? And that's a that's a, an important added point because in our day and age, everything is so geared towards you as the individual. And here in this study, we're going to see it over and over again. It's about... God and His glory and His church. Okay? That's one of the reasons we, we decided, uh, okay, this is a great time to go into the study of the book of Ephesians. Because of our, um, here, we start up with the, the new year, so to speak. Uh, Awana starts up Sunday school, connect groups and all. So, uh, the book of Ephesians, revealing the church is God's glorious masterpiece. And Paul reveals Keywords, the first one is mystery. Paul reveals the mystery of the body of Christ. And those are the verses there that you can see that word pop up. Mystery is simply truth previously veiled is now made known. Simply put. But it's the mystery of the body of Christ, also known as the church, in which we are all one. And that's the second key word, unity. Unity pops up as either uh, the word one or together. And these are two of the key words. But we need to remember, it's not about me as an individual or you as an individual when we study the book of Ephesians. It's been called the gospel. Ephesians has been called the gospel of the church. And that... Just so that we're all on the same page, that does not refer to a building, that refers to a people, a gathering, an assembly of people. R.C. Sproul, famous Bible teacher, calls it, calls Ephesians the recipe for godly living. And with any recipe, it includes ingredients and instructions. And so, we want to look at the outline. Just a sample outline, but this is from uh, another great Bible teacher, Mark Dever, back in uh, Washington, D.C. His outline goes something like this. Number one, God, uh, creation, this is Ephesians, uh, creation of God's new people, Ephesians 1 through 3. The creation of God's new people. It's God's creation, it's God's design, it's God's doing. It's what God has done in uniting us in His grace. We're united by His grace. Okay, And so in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul lays out the ingredients of belief. The ingredients of belief. And chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's all about doctrine. It's all about our position. As you read those first three chapters, that's what stands out. Here's... Here's the position of a believer. And then the second point is intention for God's new people. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. What we must do is live out our unity. 
live out our unity. And so chapters 4, 5, and 6 give us the instructions for Christian behavior. Okay? So the ingredients of belief and the instruction for Christian behavior. Simply doing what God wants us to do. So these chapters deal with our practice. Chapter 4, 5, and 6. And together then, this gives us the picture of the Christian life. There's belief and behavior. There's a position in your practice. There's doctrine and duty. And that is what makes the book of Ephesians so important for the church. And many of us get, we say, well, I've got the right doctrine, but how's your practice going? And so that's why we need the book of Ephesians. Point number three is really um, a bit of a side point. The admonition to God's new people that what it tells us what we must not do, and that is partner with darkness. In doing so, in not partnering with darkness, we give evidence of Christ's work in our lives. We're saying, you know what, I can't I, I gotta stop doing what I used to do. And I gotta you know respond to his work in my life. And so walk as children of light. Uh, walk as children of God. Live in that way. Step out of the darkness. You've been saved out of the darkness. Now, show that. Demonstrate it. And that's a problem that many people have as Christians. They, they don't understand. They don't, um, they don't get it. Leave that which was, you know, from the past. Leave it. Turn away from it. Okay? So, it's showing that God's grace is effective in my life. That's the idea. And thus, we can say, here's why Jesus makes a difference in my life. He's helped me to overcome slander. He's helped me to overcome lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it is. He's helped me. And he continues to be the strength of my life, the source of grace. So, Ephesians then is not a personal letter Ephesians is not a letter of correction or rebuke to the church there at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesians is not a how-to-be-successful-in-life kind of a book. But it is a letter that Paul wrote that sets God at the very center of our lives. And of the obviously of the church. And it's really a lifting up of praise to God for who He is and what He's done. So, that's the book of Ephesians. Putting our eyes on on Christ, putting our eyes on God. So it shifts our orientation. It shifts our focus. It shifts our attention to God, not ourselves. And it shows us that God is is at the center of the church and at the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, take that thought, and if you're paying attention to what's going on in our society and in our culture, have we gone against the message that we find here in Ephesians? When we put, really, the individual at the center of attention when we share the gospel. Think about that. 
Many times in an effort to help an individual understand, we, we kind of put the spotlight on the individual. God loves you so much. Well, He does. I'm not saying He doesn't. But it, it's a subtle shift in how we approach sharing the gospel. And Ephesians is, is coming forth saying, no, God's at the center of the gospel. God's at the center of the church. And thus, the outflow of it ought to be that God's at the center of your life or my life individually. So that when we come together, all we want to do is lift up Christ and worship Him. So, it's an interesting thought to challenge ourselves in. Okay? And so, um, on the back side of your outline, we start in with an introduction, if you will. This, this letter, written by Paul, from Rome, from prison. Interesting little point. He's written it from prison. And it's approximately 60, 61, 62 AD that he penned this letter. After about, it was previously about eight years ago that he had visited Ephesus for the first time. And he starts his letter like many other letters, okay? We, we are familiar with this kind of address, this kind of greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, Paul, we, we could say, well, we all get Paul. We all understand him, right? Uh, he was the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. Not only proclaiming the good news of Jesus wherever he was sent, but also laying a foundation for the church with Christian beliefs. That's the, that's the class that's going on across in the fellowship hall. Christian beliefs. So if, if you're in need of being reinforced with basic doctrines, you need to show up to that class. That's going to help you in growing in your faith. So that's what Paul was about. Sharing the gospel news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, his salvation, and then helping set a solid foundation of Christian beliefs to build and grow that church. And it's mostly through his teaching and then his letters. He sent all these letters from prison uh, to either churches or regions or individuals. Now, where where do we find uh, Acts? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> where do we find Ephesus? First mentioned. Turn to Acts, chapter 18. Please turn to Acts, chapter 18. At the end of chapter 18, verse 24, we read of Apollos an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the Scriptures. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but being only acquainted with the baptism of John. And he began to speak up boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, so there's an initial, here, here's the first proclaimers of the gospel in Ephesus. Okay, 
And then we see in Acts chapter 19 is when Paul comes to visit. And this is approximately 53 A.D. In the first three months, the first three months of his being there, he's proclaiming the gospel in Ephesus, showing up there um, at the local synagogue. Then there's some opposition that he faced. Then, So for two years, he would be at the school of Tyrannus, preaching and debating there. Just a, a kind of a study center. And he, he would show up there. And it was for two years that he would go about preaching and presenting the, the, the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, with Ephesus, we're familiar with the name. Um, Ephesus is on the western tip of Turkey, Asia Minor. Okay? And at the time, it was a, it was a coast city, a port city. So it was very active with ships coming in, travelers coming in. Okay? Um, it was a leading city in the Roman Empire. It was this, in fact, second behind Rome. It was that popular of a place. And the pro, uh, you know, they give approximations of the population at the time. Some say it was 250,000 people there in the city. Some say it was a half a million people in the city. So it was a very popular place. And for some of the big honchos in Rome, they would vacation in Ephesus. Uh, it, it was home to one of the seven wonders of the world. And uh, so obviously it became, you know, it certainly wasn't Disney World, but it was nonetheless a very attractive place to go and visit and vacation. But the problem was this seventh wonder of the world was the Temple of Artemis, the Temple of Diana. Okay? And here we have paganism. So the, the city was so filled with that. And we're going to see here in a little bit how that spread throughout the commerce, the economy of the city. Okay, The temple actually was, was huge and elaborate with, a, with 100 or more of these fancy massive columns built, uh, holding it up. And obviously the influence of the temple and the temple worship was far-reaching. And so as, as the gospel was proclaimed in Ephesus, more and more of Paul's teaching spread about Jesus, more and more people were saved out of a pagan culture. Out of idolatry. Okay. Now, in this Sunday school class this morning, they got to talking about idolatry. There's a lot of things that we, in our present day, don't even recognize, but it turns into idol worship. All sorts of things. From little simple things to major things. Okay? So we gotta, we gotta, when we look at this and we see this issue of paganism and idolatry, don't just push it off saying, well that was the, of ancient times. Because you and I still build up idols and hold on to idols in our lives here in America. So we got to pay attention here. Is something become an idol in my life? And typically, yeah. It easily becomes an idol in our lives. So 
examine that. You know, young people, it can be clothes. It can be reputation, popularity, the right tennis shoes, right? <laughs> All sorts of things. They can easily slide into and grow into being an idol in our lives. So, I want to show you in Acts 19 here, a quick review of various responses to the gospel message that we see here. Acts 19, we'll start with verse 11. Look at Acts 19, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay, that was to affirm that this is truly the gospel. Here's the the authentic message because God is, you know, uh, uh, blessing it with, here's, here's his miracle touch. Okay. Even handkerchiefs and, or aprons were carried from bodies of the sick to, and, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered them and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So the first response to the gospel was a fake one. A fake one. These sons of Sceva wanted to join in, fascinated by something, right? So they had the phony kind of response. Simply a novel idea. Hey, let's try this. Not very genuine, but ended up being awfully embarrassing. <laughs> Can you imagine YouTube being active back then? Good grief, that would have gone whew, all over the nation, all over the world, you know, from this response here. What, what happened to these men? But then look at the fruitful response. What's the fruitful response? Look at verse 18. Many also of those who believed kept coming and kept confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. See, that's what we want to see when it comes to a fruitful response. The word of the Lord is spreading and taking effect in people's lives. Grace, effective in my life. It starts with the Word of God. The, 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 the work of the Spirit of God with the truth of God's Word being proclaimed. Okay? So the, they, these folks that had the fruitful response, they were taking the message seriously. They were convicted of their ungodly ways. They, they took their books. Now, back then, you know, these books are more, much more valuable to them in their activity, in their practices, in all that they were doing. Books were valuable. They burned them. 
That's pretty serious. Serious response there. Because here's they're learning and growing in the knowledge of the word. But then there's a third response. Look at Acts 19, verse 23. Okay. And through verse 23, at that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but you can take that Acts 19, verse 23, through the end of the chapter and read about the opposition, the fight that, that ensued when the gospel was presented. Okay? Demetrius, a silversmith, was the initiator of it, initiating a riot against the gospel message. And see, that's the kind of world we live in. Okay? When, whenever the gospel is shared, and it's about Jesus Christ, not about happy, 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 but about Jesus Christ, that He died for your sins, there's going to be opposition to that. There always has been, and it will happen today. Okay? So, what do we, just close up the book and walk home? Say, well, there's opposition. And we, get, we gain insight from the example here. You know, Paul kept sharing the message because he had the answer for these people that are in bondage to their sin and in darkness. You know, we, it's like we, we stop and think, oh, I, you know, we can't really relate. To, well, of course we can relate to the city of Ephesus. Of course we can relate to their culture and the influence that was there. You Here in Fallon, think about this. Here in Fallon, how many of you just, you know, you go by Walmart and you see the, the burning men people going? You know, yeah, you see them, you see them at, at the Walmart parking lot. Well, they don't, they don't have a, a huge temple out there with big, huge columns. But they're worshiping. They're worshiping. It might not be Diana or Artemis, whichever you prefer. But they're out there worshiping because they get to do what they want to do. Maybe they're doing some good out there. I don't know. They're trying to do good to people, thinking that, you know, this is a part of what we get to do. And look at how peaceful we can be. Right? And that's what's underneath the, the press and the push and the emphasis of a man-centered type of life. We get to do what we want and we're not going to be held accountable for it. Right? You know? Live and let live. That's what people really want. And when you put the gospel in and say, no, 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 no. There's one true gospel. And yes, all people will be held accountable. Oh, no, no, no. Opposition just comes right up. And sometimes it gets fierce. Right now, there are people in countries losing their lives because of their faith in Jesus. 
Keep Pastor Saeed in your prayers. As far as I know, he's still in prison. In Is it Iran? In, in Iran. His wife keeps knocking on the door at Washington saying, please, help. You know, this is... This is what Jesus promised would happen, right? He promised that this would happen. But see, we need to remember that certain people responded to the message and were released and freed and set free from their bondage. So, that's all under Paul, the apostle. Now we go to number two, the apostle. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay? Paul's letter carried weight, the weight of authority with it because he said, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. Okay? So, not just anyone could claim to be an apostle, only those men who were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were commissioned as such. They were called sent ones. They were like representatives. They were special messengers of God. Here's the voice of God speaking at that time. And it was an apostle. Okay? So, this wasn't just any light kind of thing. When Paul says, look, here's Paul, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. He was speaking with authority. Paul had to make a a defense about his apostleship. Why? Because he wasn't with the original disciples, right? Remember that? But later on, Jesus invaded his world. Caused him to be blind. Okay? So, Paul argues this and says that in 1 Corinthians 15, just mark it down because it's not in your notes, 1 Corinthians 15, 7 through 9, that Paul writes this, Christ appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, he says this, Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? There is his argument as an apostle, an authority. And then he adds on to it saying, by the will of God. It wasn't by Paul's choosing. Hey, I want to be this. It was by God's choosing. Okay? Now, to be in God's will. We're not going to take a long uh, journey down that rabbit trail right now. But to be in God's will, number one, you need to be saved. Are you in God's will? You were born... It's, it's like, did you kind of send out the, the message saying you wanted to be born? Anyone? <laughs> no. You weren't. Okay? And the same thing relates to being in the will of God. It's God's doing. That's what we're going to find out in the book of Ephesians. It's God's doing. So he's saying, this is by God's will. Now, if you're saved, the next step in that is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know, it's, uh, we call it the Romans 12, 1 and 2 workout, right? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what? What the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
Okay? So God wants us to be in His will. And the way that we, we say we're children of God, then the way you are in His will is to be transformed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God working within you, confirming that here's what, here's what I'm reading. I'm, I'm learning of God's way. So, an apostle by the will of God. Now, number three, he, he's writing to saints and faithful, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Let's just break this down real quickly here. He calls us saints. Now, this is, uh, this goes against our, our way of thinking. Okay? We're holy ones. We're set apart ones. We're God's holy people. Can you say that with me? God's holy people. Now, we gotta keep saying that. Because that's your identity in Christ. You believe that? That's your identity in Christ. You know what? I'll just say it this way. The Catholic Church has hijacked this special thing. This truth. The Catholic Church has hijacked it. And they made it out to be reserved for the ultra-special ones who they deem as worthy. Worthy to be given, what? Sainthood. And typically, you need to be dead. You can't be a saint until you're dead in the Catholic Church. And all the while, Christians miss out on this amazing concept, this amazing truth. Right now, if you are a genuine child of God, you are a saint. Saint David. Saint Roger. Saint Monty, you know, I, can you? Do you have a hard time saying that about yourself? You can go ahead and shake your head. Yes. I know me. <laughs> I know uh, there's many a time where I'm like, ah, no. But yes, that's what he's saying to the saints. Okay. And even though we say, well, the, the Catholic Church has hijacked the term, and, you know, and subtly underneath it is, uh, you know, and by the way, you know, you'll, you'll never match up. You'll never match up to that. Mother Teresa, oh, Saint Peter, Saint Christopher, <sighs> don't get me started because we just, end up going down another deep, steep rabbit trail about that. Other than this, we just don't pray to any saint other than God. Here's God, Jesus. We pray to Him, directly to Him. Oh, our Father, Abba, Father. Okay? So, okay. And with this thought, we need to remember... We can focus on the wrong identity in our lives. Paul is starting this letter by focusing on a biblical truth about your identity. Your identity, if you're a believer, your identity is in Christ. That's your identity. 
Okay? So, remember, if you are a believer, you are a saint. Not because of anything you've done, but due to what God has done. In Christ, you've been given His righteousness, set apart to live a holy life. Amen? Yeah, that's, that's where it's at. And the more we focus on that concept and that truth, that, that will free us, really, from all the entanglements that the world really wants to catch you in. Young people, again, you know, you've got to have the right this, the right that, and then you'll really be cool. Well, when the more you will look to Jesus, like the Bible says, put your faith in Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus, the more your identity will be in Christ to be walking by faith in this, in this world. Parents, is that what we want for our children and our grandchildren? Is that what we want? Of course. Of course it is. So, then he calls us saints, then he call, and then he says, faithful in Christ Jesus. Faithful in Christ Jesus because of you and how good you are? Or because of Jesus and what he's already accomplished? Yes. Faithful because of Jesus and what all, of, all that he's accomplished Jesus, listen folks, Jesus is faithful all the time. Jesus is faithful no matter what's going on in my life or your life. He is faithful. And that's why we can be called the faithful in Christ Jesus, emphasizing our proper position, our proper standing in Christ. And by the way, that phrase, in Christ, that's another important one for this study in Ephesians because it, it pops up 38 times in this letter and hundreds of times throughout the New Testament. In Christ. So, the more I can see myself, my family, and my friends and loved ones in that way, the more I want to speak to them in that way. The more you will grow to say, yeah, I need to respond to life situations with that in mind. This person's in Christ. I want to help them along. I want to encourage them along in that. Okay. So, we need to live according to our identity in Christ. Don't take your cues and your counsel from Oprah, from Ellen, from Joel or Victoria or anyone else that's out there Pump in the world's manner. The pump in the world's way. We take our cues from, in regards to people, we take our cues from people that love Jesus. They, they've maybe grown in their faith. They're, they're showing wisdom in their lives and I want to I learn from them. Now, obviously, it's the Word of God that we want to promote. But when it comes to people, it's, there's, there's, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. Right? And, and so you want to go to those people that are walking with the Lord. They've stumbled. They've fallen. They got back up and they keep walking. You know, we want to learn from each other in that way. Okay? So, learn about your identity. Then number four, he says, grace to you and peace from God. Our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's Paul's standard greeting. But think about this. You have to receive that. 
You have to, you have to, how do you know of His grace and peace in your life? Well, it starts with the reception of God's grace and peace. The reception of. When you come to faith in Christ, it's because of His grace and it results in what? Peace. Peace with God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. So, that's not, you know, out there at the black desert, you know, holding up the peace sign. I'm a peacemaker. No, that is regarding the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. So the reception of, we've got to fill this out because, you know, we've got to fill in our blanks, right? <laughs> On the worksheet. The reception of God's grace and peace is the gain of spiritual life. It's the gain of spiritual life. That's how you come to faith in Christ. And you gain spiritual life. You're awakened to the, the truths of God's Word. You're going, wow! Praise the Lord! But it keeps going. And that's, that's, that's a summary of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. There you go. Here's your, your standing. It's because of what you've gained by, here's His grace and peace. Then secondly, under number four, is the reliance on God's grace and peace. And that's the growth in spiritual life. My friend, are you, have you gained this gift of God? Have you gained the gift of God? Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? And if you have, are you then growing in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord? And are you relying on that grace and that peace? Okay, so here we go. You've uh, kind of joined me on the springboard, jumping into the pool called Ephesians, and let's go swimming together, okay? Let's go, let's go through this together. Keep reading in it. Keep learning in it. Keep growing in the understanding of the book of Ephesians. Here's the applications that we want to wrap it up with. There's three that I have, and there's others that you can talk about with your family or your connect group. Applications. Number one, Paul wrote this. Think this. Think of this. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago for crying out loud. And it still blesses the heart of the believer. It still ministers to your life. Think. Now, here's point number one of the application side. Think of what God continues to do through those who've been in prison. Who else was in prison in Bible times? You know, you think of who was in prison and what God did with them. You know, Paul and Silas just singing in prison. Daniel and his friends in prison. You know, uh, Joseph in prison. Here's Paul writing. Writing in prison. Consider what great things God does no matter what conditions you face. As long as we are going to focus on Him. Then secondly, are you in His will? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your Lord, as your refuge from the wrath to come? And can you say, here's the, here's the reason why I bring it up again. Can you say, I am so and so and I work here by the will of God. 
I am so-and-so and I work at the base by the will of God. I am so-and-so and I'm a teacher by the will of God. That's what we ought to be learning about. Saying, I want to be able to say that too. I'm not saying I'm, a, I'm an apostle or anyone else's. No, but I can certainly say, here's what I, who I am and what I do by the will of God. Janitor, bus driver, mail carrier, uh, daddy, mommy, grandma, grandpa. Got to throw that in. Number three, this week, today and through this week, keep reminding yourself and your loved ones who you are as a believer. Who are you? What is your identity? Am I a saint? Am I living in that way? Am I trusting God to do His good work in my life? Just who are you, really? Who are you? Who are you? I always, you know, it's like, I, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Yeah, I'm a pastor. Okay, get that. Maybe we should go beyond my job description or my job title. Let's go beyond that. Who are you? Are you a child of God? Then God help us to live that out in our lives. Let's stand together and close in prayer. Make no mistake about it. With all that we've said here, we need the help of God's Holy Spirit to bring this about. But let's press on to say, let's live as saints faithful in Christ Jesus. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you so much that we can uh, hear from you, learn from your word, and encourage one another. May today be a, a blessed day of walking with you and rejoicing in all that you've done and Lord, as we continue on in this series, I just, I pray that you would show yourself mighty and strong and sufficient. Lord, we, we want to grow and learn more and more. Thank you again for how good you are. Thank you for this day. Help us to rejoice in it. In Jesus' name. Amen.